Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Let's just dive into this thing. We're going to pray and let's go. So Father, thank you. Uh, that we get to come together right now to read your word, to press in, and to uh, really glean from the mistakes of others. God, I just pray right now that uh, as we're confronting this chapter, the difficult to read texts, the ones that uh, you know sometimes we would rather not read and just move past, that Lord, that you would speak to us today. And that you would give us the golden nuggets, the truth, and the lessons from your word that we need today. We ask this and praise in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen, amen, amen. So, 2 Samuel 13, I'm going to start with verse 1. Let's do it. Some time passed. David's son Absalom had a beautiful sister named Tamar. And David's son Amnon was infatuated with her. Amnon was frustrated to the point of making himself sick over his sister Tamar because she was a virgin, but it seemed impossible to do anything to her. Amnon had a friend named Jonadab, a son of David's brother Shemia. Jonadab was a very shrewd man, and he asked Amnon, Why are you, the king's son, so miserable every morning? Won't you tell me? Amnon replied, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, lie down on your bed and pretend you're sick. When your father comes to see you, say to him, please let my sister Tamar come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare a meal in my presence so I can watch and eat from her hand. So Amnon lay and pretended to be sick. When the king came to see him, Amnon said to him, please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my presence so I can eat from her hand. David sent word to Tamar at the palace, please go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare a meal for him. Then Tamar went to his house while Amnon was lying down. She took no dough, kneaded it, made cakes in his presence, and baked them. She brought the pan and set it down in front of him, but he refused to eat. Amnon said, everyone leave me, and everyone left him. Bring the meal to the bedroom, Amnon told Tamar, so I can eat it from your hand. Tamar took the cakes she had made and went to her brother Amnon's bedroom. When she brought them to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, come sleep with me, my sister. Don't, my brother, she cried. Don't disgrace me for such a thing should never be done in Israel. Don't commit this outrage. Where could I ever go with my humiliation? And you, you would be like one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Please speak to the king, for he won't keep me from you. But he refused to listen to her. And because he was stronger than she was, he disgraced her by raping her. So Amnon hated Tamar with such intensity that he hated her with the greater, uh, or the hate that he had for her was greater than the love he had loved her with. Get out of here, he said. No, she cried. Sending me away is much worse than the great wrong you've already done to me. But he refused to listen to her. Instead, he called to the servant who waited on him. Get this away from me. Throw her out and bolt the door behind her. 
Amnon's servant threw her out and bolted the door behind her. Now Tamar was wearing a long sleeve robe because this is what the king's virgin's daughters wore. Tamar put ashes on her head, tore the long sleeve robe she was wearing. She put her hand on her head and went away crying out. Her brother Absalom said to her, has your brother Amnon been with you? Be quiet for now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. So Tamar lived as a desolate woman in the house of her brother Absalom. When King David heard about all these things, he was furious. Absalom didn't say anything to Amnon, either good or bad, because he hated Amnon since he disgraced his sister Tamar. Two years later, Absalom's sheep shearers were at Baal Hazar near Ephraim, and Absalom invited all the king's sons. Then he went to the king and said, your servant has just hired sheep shears. Will the king and his servants please come with your servant? The king replied to Absalom, no, my son, we should not all go or we would burden you. Although Absalom urged him, he wasn't willing to go, though he did bless him. If not, Absalom said, we please let my brother Amnon go with us. The king asked him, why should he go with you? But Absalom urged him. So he sent Amnon and all the king's sons. Now Absalom commanded his young men, watch Amnon until he is in a good mood from wine. When I order you to strike Amnon, then kill him. Don't be afraid. And when not the one who has commanded you, be strong and valiant. So Absalom's young men did to Amnon just as Absalom had commanded. Then all the rest of the king's sons got up, each fled on his mule. While they were on their way, a report reached David. Absalom struck down all the king's sons. Not even one of them survived. In response, the king stood up, tore his clothes, lay down on the ground, and all the servants stood by their torn clothes. <clears throat> but Jonadab, son of David's brother Shemia, spoke up, My lord must not think they have all killed all the young men, the king's sons, because only Amnon is dead. In fact, Absalom has planned this uh, ever since the day Amnon disgraced his sister Tamar. Now, my lord, the king, don't take seriously the report that says all the king's sons are dead. Only Amnon is dead. Meanwhile, Absalom fled. When the young man who was standing watch looked up, there were many people coming from the road west of him from the side of the mountain. Jonadab said to the king, look, the king's sons have come. It's exactly like your servant said. Just as he finished speaking, the king's sons entered and wept loudly. But the king and all his servants also wept very bitterly. But Absalom fled and went to Tamali, son of Muhab, king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son every day. After Absalom had fled to Geshur and had been there three years, King David longed to go to Absalom, for David had finished grieving over Amnon's death. Long chapter there, packed chapter. A uh, lot of stuff happened, and it's also uh, probably one of those more difficult pills to swallow inside of that chapter. Uh, what I'd love for you guys to do, drop your uh, verses that stand out to you inside of the chat. Any questions you may have, throw them in there. Uh, I know I always have a question when reading chapters like this, because I'm going to just confess really quick, right? Confession is good for the soul, but bad for the reputation. Um, my confession is when I read chapters like this, I just want to skip by them. Uh, like I'll get like 25% of the way through and think, yeah, I'm, I think I'm all right on this one <laughs> and just keep going. Right. But I think it is really important that we press into uh, the things that we may not always necessarily like to press into inside of the word of God, right? That we go ahead and we glean from what God is speaking through his word. Uh, and this one, it's a tough pill to swallow because, uh, right? And 
not to be crude about it, but this in so many ways, this chapter is about rape and revenge, right? This is the unfortunate assault on a, in a very innocent young woman and how a brother got revenge on his half-brother. Uh, and all of this was unfolding under David's kingship. And I, as I was reading this chapter and I was praying, I was like, God, what, what do you communicate from a chapter like this? Do you know, like what, what's, what's there to glean, you know, I, cause I could sit here and say sexual assault is bad. Right. And to which I would really pray everyone would say, amen. We could sit here and talk about uh, how we want good siblings along our side that would defend us. And everyone would say, amen. We could talk about uh, how love turns to hate when it's not real love, and everyone would say amen. But I think one of the first key things that as I was reading this, uh, when I started looking at the life of Amnon, and let's say the home that he grew up in, uh, my my perspective started to change just a little bit. Obviously, what he did was wrong, but I would love to just quickly look at and even propose to a lot of us today how Amnon in many ways was a product of his environment. Uh, verse four, right? He asked, this is Amnon's uh, friend or excuse me, uh, half brother. Why are you the king's son so miserable every morning? Won't you tell me, Amnon replied. And he said, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. You see, what we learned as we read this chapter was that Amnon was not really in love with Tamar, correct? Because a love would not take advantage of take advantage of someone and then send them out and be so quickly turned to hate in a moment. What he was not filled with was love. Because love always looks out for the better of a person, right? We can go to 1 Corinthians and get the strongest definition of love. And every last one of us could read that definition and be challenged today. And if you ever have uh, questions on what your love looks like, or hey, maybe I need to upgrade my love in my life and have the love of Jesus more central, go read 1 Corinthians and have God challenge you. Because the first thing it says is love is patient. And as I read that every time, I think, okay, I need to love better because I don't know about you, but one of my biggest issues with the way I love people is my patience very often. You know, I wear, a, I try to wear a poker face the best I can, but on the inside, my insides are screaming saying, hurry up. But when we are filled with love for someone, right? We know love also covers a multitude of sins right here. Amnon was not filled with love. He was filled with lust. You see, what Amnon did was absolutely despicable to Tamar. But I also want to kind of touch on this because Amnon learned this type of behavior from somewhere. And I believe he learned this from his father, David. Because remember, he grew up in the king's home. And while David is known by God as one after his own heart, right? This is what the Lord says about David. And anyone listening today, listening later on, uh, I don't know about you. But I want to be known by God as one after the heart of God. That is a remarkable thing to be known by, by God himself. People may say that of me, and that is wonderful, and I'm encouraged. But when my God says that about me, it's something a little bit different. So David is known as a man after God's own heart, the anointed king of Israel. Yet David in his life was a very, 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 hear me, very, very wicked man. He did things that were horrid. And yet from his bloodline came Jesus himself.
I'm just going to reference a couple of things that he did on the lust end of his life. Second Samuel chapter three, verses 14 and 16. This is right after Saul's death. King Saul had passed away. And here David is going back after his wife that he had purchased from Saul, bought a wife from Saul. And it says, David sent messengers to say to Ishbosheth, son of Saul, give me back my wife, Michal. I was engaged to her for the price of a hundred Philistine foreskins, right? Engaged. So Ishbosheth sent someone to take her away from her husband, Paltiel, son of Laish. Her husband followed her, weeping all the way to Baharium. Abner said to him, go back. So he went. There's. I, I should have added this into the verse. It was go back or die. So here, David is first act of lust. This woman, Mikkel, is happily married. <laughs> In her home, happy. And David said, I bought you. You're coming with me. You want to talk about either being filled with love or lust? I really believe it was the latter. And then her poor husband follows and chases after her, right? And they say, go back or die, right? Let's take a look at this. 2 Samuel 5.13. So he arrived in Hebron. David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem. And more sons and daughters were born to him. Right here, David just takes more and more and more and more. And here he is just reproducing constantly. Let's go on. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Here we have David and Bathsheba, like I was talking about in the beginning. I believe our chapter today is a continuation of that story. David is, is not doing what he's supposed to be doing. David, uh, as his identity and assignment from God, was the warrior king, the fighter in Israel, the one that was meant to advance the land and advance the kingdom. Remember, I, I think for probably a solid past two months, almost every time I've hopped here on with you at SOAP, uh, I have always referenced drive the people out of the land. The enemies that have been occupied inside of the promised land that was meant for Israel. They decided not to do it. And because they didn't drive the, the enemies or the sin out of their life, they were dealing with the thorn of that in their side their entire lives. And that went on for generations. David was God's corrective course for that, to drive the enemies out of the land. So as David, the warrior king, would fight, he had David's mighty men, the guys that were his brothers. They had his back everywhere he went. And here in David and Bathsheba, one of David's mighty men, David looks at him or looks at his wife and says, I want her. And decides to take his wife and send his friend to the front lines of battle back off so his friend would die so the people wouldn't be uh, uh people wouldn't accuse david and view him differently for already sleeping with bathsheba and getting her pregnant david i love him david he has moments where he dances before god david the chapter we just read was after he brought the ark of the covenant back to israel back to jerusalem where it needed to be David, a man after God's own heart, is doing all of these wicked actions, yet Jesus still had mercy for him. But I want to consider this was the home that Amnon grew up in. This is the dad that Amnon looked to. This was his idol in his life. And I don't know about you, but I can still confidently say, you know, my parents, I love them. Neither of them are perfect people. But I can look at my dad and say, I love that man. This is, these are the things I've learned from him. He's the most generous man I've ever met. He is outrageously kind. 
he is very thoughtful of the people around him, right? We can all talk about the things we learned in the home. Here, Amnon learned lust inside of the home, which is why I want to talk to you about generational curses and generational blessings, right? A generational curse, by definition, is a habit, behavior, or belief that has been passed down from one generation to the next. And Exodus 20, verse 5 uh, it says, do not bow in worship to them and do not serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children to the third and fourth generations who hate me. Right. So uh, for us dropping in the chat, the saying the sins of the father, uh, you could tell where I was going ahead of time. The sins of the father of David were already being passed down to Amnon. And I was looking into the life of uh, David to see if he grew up inside of the same home. And I don't see Jesse engaging in that same activity. I don't see many uh, scholars or historians saying that David grew up in a home where lust was the primary sin of the father. But we can see David engaging in his lifestyle as lust being the sin of his life. And because it was, he passes down this sin to Amnon, right? Generational curses can go onto a giant list. We could have everything from addiction as a generational curse. If you grew up in a home of addiction, I hate to tell you, but statistically, you have a higher chance of walking in that same addiction as your parents or grandparents did. If you grew up in a home of divorce where your parents were split or maybe separated, you have a higher chance of divorcing or separating uh, from your spouse. If you grew up in a home of abuse, very tragically, you have a greater chance of being an abuser yourself. If you grew up in a home where debt was massive inside of the household, guess where I'm going with this? We have a higher statistic chance to be in debt ourselves. And right here, we see lust. Amnon grew up in a home where lust was the primary pillar of his life as he watched his dad uh, go after any woman he laid his eyes on. And the Bible even notes that David was not a half, <laughs> half bad looking guy. So here, Amnon is just following the behavior of his dad. Now, that is not an excuse in any way, shape, or form. I'm not trying to build a case where we feel bad for Amnon because Amnon was a grown man making his own decisions. And he did something he never should have done, and it was disgraceful. He should be held responsible for the decisions that he made. David should not necessarily be held responsible for the actions of Amnon. However, I do want to bring up that we, you and I, have the capability of passing on generational curses and generational blessings onto our children and grandchildren. You know, Shannon and I, when we got married, uh, we wrote down a set of values and a set of, uh, let's say, potential problems that we said, these are the things that, uh, excuse me, the values were, this is who we want to be. You know, we came up with things. The very first value we have is we put first things first. God, marriage, our family, and then everything else. And everything else, guess what it includes? Everything else. <laughs> and I love you. If you're not listening to those first pieces, you're in the everything else category. We still love you, but we put first things first because we decided that God was going to come first inside of our life. The big house wasn't going to come first. The big TV, the fancy car was not going to come first, but Jesus would come first, right? So we had these values because we wanted to pass along generational blessings. Because when God comes first in the home, we decide that the word of God will be foundational in everything we do. And we decide that everything we do will be coded in relationship with God and prayer. But then also on the other side, we have these list of problems that we said, hey, these are some things we're going to have to answer over the course of a lifetime in marriage. 
right? We both come from families of divorce. My parents are split. Her parents are split or our, her parents are, a re, uh, excuse me, a blended family from getting back together. It, it, but either way, divorce runs in the bloodline. And her and I decided that when we come together, there is no breaking this. This covenant is going to be forever, no matter what happens. And we decided the generational curse was going to be broken with us. We, we both came from families of addiction. And we decided that that generational curse of addiction will be broken with us. We, uh, you know, we, uh, there was... Uh, generational sins of, or not generational sins, but let's say generational curses of anxiety, depression, and things like that passed down. And her and I both decided that we were going to be the ones to break these things. And in our desire to break generational curses, I really believe that each and every one of us are called to break those curses over our lives. And I, I want to just really like hone in on this today. You are the one called to break the curse over your family's life. It's not for the next generation. It's not for the person after you. It's for you to sit there and say, I'm going to be the one bold enough to not let Amnon grow up in my home because it's a decision that we make and we have to be so very intentional about it that we want our children, grandchildren and great grandchildren to not walk in generational curses, but generational blessings. Because I'll tell you, if generational curses are real, then the opposite also has to be real. So you have a generational curse, but we also have generational blessings. Proverbs 13, 22 says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his grandchildren. You see, it's great to leave some money for the kids. And everybody said, amen. I can still to this day, uh, I got an inheritance, I want to say eight or uh, six or seven years ago. And it was from a grandmother that had passed 11 years prior to that. It took 11 years for that inheritance to hit me, her grandson. But man, was I happy when that money came through. <laughs> it was the perfect time. And once the money comes through, you start dreaming, what am I going to do with it? At the time, I had been uh, doing a homeless ministry that I started in Philadelphia. And I took that money and that money pioneered new lands, got new ground and pushed forward uh, all from inheritance that came from my grandmother 11 years prior. We love it when a good inheritance hits, but I really want to leave something with you today. Uh, what we leave for our children and our grandchildren pales in comparison to what we leave in our children and grandchildren. Because you can leave a lot of things for them. You can leave the house. I love you guys, but you can leave uh, uh, the 1960s lamp. Uh, I still have my grandmother's. My grandmother, when she passed, she had a little tin cup. I mean, maybe like, I think it was maybe a little 12 ounce tin cup. Uh, it was the most incredible thing. She drank from it every single day. Well, y'all, that thing was from like 1925 and no one should be drinking from it anymore. Every time you took a sip, it tasted like metal. <laughs> but I kept the tin cup. She left the tin cup. But what I'm grateful for is not what my grandmother left me. You see, she was uh, she was an immigrant Irish woman and she was tough like an immigrant Irish woman. She was no joke. This lady raised six, count them, six children. <laughs> and she as she's raising those six kids, she had, uh, what was it, four boys and two girls. And two of the boys were in trouble every day. One of the other boys became a priest, and one of the, her daughters became a nun. This woman raised her kids. She was no joke. Uh, but she didn't really have much to leave them. 
She was, again, an Irish immigrant. Her husband was a truck driver who later became a school custodian. There wasn't money to pass down. And if she ever had $2 extra than what she needed on her bills, she was at the church giving it away because, as she said, the people of God and the church of God need it way more than I do. And we would be on her constantly, mum, why don't you buy a new winter coat? And she would say, because my last one only has two holes in it, we could spare a couple more. <laughs> <laughs> she would drive us crazy, but we loved her. <laughs> but uh, my mom, I lived with her for the first four years of my life. So my earliest memories are being with her. Even after I moved out, I was with her every single day because she would pick me up from school. And I spent, I mean, next to every waking moment with this woman. And as I reflect as a Christ follower back to those days with my grandmother, those early days, to this day, I can remember watching her pray constantly. She never stopped. She would pray 24-7. Uh, I don't know uh, if you guys remember this or even have any or ever watched it, but her and my show was Seventh Heaven. And we would sit down and watch that show together almost every single day. And she would plant me on the couch next to her. And as the show would play, I would hear, hear her pray under her breath the entire time. She never stopped praying. And it would be so light, so quiet that it wouldn't disturb the show. But she prayed the entire time. She was so intentional. You could be sitting there. We will cook dinner together. We'd be making our butter noodle pasta because I was not a red sauce boy till I was older. And she was so kind as she's making the butter noodles and we're doing pasta making dinner together. And I would hear her praying under her breath the whole time as she's making it. This woman, and I really mean this, never stopped praying. My grandmother did not leave much to me or anyone else for that matter. There was, uh, she well, she left a car. That was pretty much it, which got sold. <laughs> that and a lot of memories. But to this day, I am not grateful for what she left for us. I'm grateful for what she left in us. Because I can say to this day, my vibrant prayer life came because of my grandmother. My vibrant prayer life, my relationship with Jesus, I truly believe is here today because I had a praying grandmother that never stopped. She was a spirit-filled Roman Catholic that played no games about meeting with her God. And no matter who was there or what was going on, she was sitting down with her Jesus. And because of that, to this day, I have a prayer life that's strong because of her. And I want to tell you, I'm sharing this with you because you are leaving something inside of your children and grandchildren today. You currently are. And I want to start proposing that we should start asking, what am I leaving in them? Forget what you leave for them. You can build temporal kingdoms and temporal things all day long. David was doing the same thing for Amnon. But what David left inside of Amnon was lust. And we can do the same exact thing. We can leave impatience because it's a learned behavior. We can uh, leave anger because it's another learned behavior. We can even leave ungodly beliefs about God. But I want to propose to you, that what we leave in them is infinitely important. And we should think about it way more than a dollar amount we leave our kids. Because I could be poor here on earth, but rich in heaven. And I would much rather be rich in heaven than poor here. One second. There we go. Sorry, having a Zoom issue. There we go. So you can have millions, but I don't want to focus on what I don't have. I want to focus on what I do. Because I may not have all the money in the world, all the property in the world, all the cars in the world. But what I do have is a vibrant relationship with Jesus. 
And if I get to leave to them uh, the things that God says to me, if I get to leave them journals that tells them this is the time I spent with the Lord, if I get to leave them a Bible that's marked up like you wouldn't believe, come on, somebody underlined to the point where you could barely read the text anymore and highlighted that the pages are basically wet. We can pass those things along to our children and grandchildren so that they can have a vibrant relationship with Jesus. Because David, look at this, David, when he uh, hears about the sexual abuse that his daughter Tamar went through, think about it, it, it was his daughter that went through it. It says David was furious, but he took no action. Why didn't he take any action? Because I personally believe he knew that he was living under the same generational curse. He knew that his son Amnon had been a product of his own environment, right? That he had known that he had really created this monster that did a monster's act. And this was a generational curse being passed along. And at some point, someone was going to have to dethrone this thing. And I believe the ultimate dethroning of this generational curse inside of uh, the bloodline of David was Jesus when he came on the scene because Jesus is the ultimate generational curse breaker. And you may have something that you're dealing with today. And I want to tell you, there's no shame in it. Uh, I will never be a shame guy. I'm not the one to sit here and say, how dare you as you're in the middle of anything. You're human. I'm human. I can't sit here and say, all I have are blessings to pass along to my future children and grandchildren. No, no, no. I got plenty of curses that I'm still dealing with. And everybody said, amen. This is not a point fingers uh, conversation. This is a, hey, why don't we all do better today conversation? Because as Jesus is the ultimate curse breaker, the one that shows up on the scene and changes the narrative of the story. I believe Jesus wants to change the narrative of the generation we're looking at. And the narrative right now is anxiety, depression, suicide, suicidal thoughts. And we see these things on the rise like we've never seen them before. Last Tuesday, or uh, a couple of days ago on Tuesday, uh, I was out at a one-day event out in Lancaster. I was with a bunch of next-generation pastors, you know, kids, uh, uh, youth, all the good stuff. And we heard people just really, really doing some strong equipping. And what one of the pastors brought up, he said, uh, we saw a 22% rise in a matter of one year in suicidal thoughts. And what this is, is documented. This is documented suicidal thoughts. Do you know how many teenagers, kids, young adults are all dealing with suicidal thoughts, but aren't saying anything and is not getting documented? 22% rise. I would beg to even say it's probably a 30 to 35% rise. And what's even more heartbreaking is, and this is 100% documented, is 11% of that 22 actually follows through with those thoughts. That's heartbreaking. So in those statistics, there is a generational curse being passed along. But hear me, I'm not sharing that for a doom and gloom as we close here today. I'm sharing that because there's a generational blessing of life that you and I get to pass along to this generation. That there's a reason for living and his name is Jesus. There's a reason for living and it's because God created you and designed you to do something here on this earth. And his assignment for you is more beautiful than the other option. And we get to pass that blessing along. Hear me, we get to. We don't got to, we get to. And no one else is going to do it. You are the Christ follower in your family. You are the one sent by God today, divinely sent by God to go be the one that breaks that curse and pass on that blessing. There is no one else that's going to do it. It is only you who can get it done. 
because God has equipped you and called you to pass along the things that he put inside of you. So today, let's forget the stuff that we can leave for our kids and grandkids and focus on the things we're going to leave in our kids and grandkids. Because I don't know about you, but I want more prayer warriors inside of my family. And I want my my future grandkids one day to say, I had a praying grandfather. And then I get to say, yeah, because I had a praying grandmother. Can I get an amen? So good. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for everyone that's here today. And Lord, we know so many of us deal with these different generational curses in our life. These generational curses range from uh, just belief systems that we have about you, Lord, belief systems we have about life. Some of us might just be belief systems we have about people that we can't trust anyone. But God, I just pray today, show us the blessing in place of the curse, the blessing that we get to walk in and the blessing that you are with us everywhere we go. And God, help us learn to pass it on to a next generation, that we can learn how to say, this is the way, walk in it, and not only tell you how to do it, but I'll show you how to do it. So Lord, I just pray, make every person here today generational curse breakers, and God, make us generational blessing walkers. And we ask this and pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said, amen, amen, amen. God bless you all. Have a great, great Thursday.